Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. Yes. It's good to see you all. It's good to be uh, together once again. And um, I'm glad you're here. It's, uh, it's a beautiful May morning, and it's uh, um, God's doing some amazing things. And there's also uh, just a lot of things going on in our world at all times that we need to keep lifting up to Him and praying to Him. And, um, and my heart's a, a bit heavy this morning when I uh, heard a little bit yesterday about some of the tragedy back in Buffalo. If you've heard about that, somebody came into a store and just out of pure evil and sin and um, fill in the blanks of all the other things, took the lives of some other people. And uh, I can't imagine the pain of a family on the receiving end of that. And I just want to start our time by going to God and asking for his mercy. So will you join me? God, I, um, in moments like this, though, I mean, proximity is thousands of miles away and we ourselves may not feel in danger, but that's not what this is about. My heart bleeds for the families of those who are on the receiving end of such victim, such harshness. God, we pray for your mercy. We pray for your grace. We pray for your comfort. God, I pray for that community as they surround the families and surround uh, the people who are hurting God. If there's some way we can be a part of a blessing, please let us know. If nothing else, God, we just come before you and align ourselves with your heart for these people. So we lift this up to you in your name. Amen. Um, in many ways, I see, and I guess this could be true whenever you're learning something new. Um, I, in many ways, I, I see my years of coaching football being very closely kind of aligned to the years of ministry that I had, meaning when you're teaching somebody something brand new, um, I coached like freshman football for a long time and um, these guys were more concerned about picture day, to be honest with you. They're like, I'm in the team picture. And I'm like, just make it to the team picture and good luck, right? Or how they looked in their uniform. And so we would, I would line them up and show them a certain play. And for some of you, if you're not really into football, it just looks like a bunch of people running into each other. That's really all it is. And people are getting paid a lot of money to do that. But I would line these guys up and, you know, if I'm teaching them an offensive play, I'm like, usually the other team lines up here and you will block them this way and block them that way. And inevitably they would say, well, what if they lined up somewhere else? Like, will they line up somewhere else? And I'm like, yeah, we don't get to tell them where they line up. You know, like they get to decide that. So if they go over here, then you do it this way. And you're like, yeah, but you told me to do it this way. I'm like, well, tell your friend to come down and help you. And he's like, how do I do that? I don't know. Help me. Say something, right? So early on in the coaching thing, it was like, here's the basic orthodox of a play. Here's how it kind of works. But the development over time is you learn how to adjust. You learn how to go, I get the basic idea of what we're doing, but when things in front of me change or the enemy or the opposition tries to do things a little differently, how do I navigate the adjustment to do well? 
I've seen this so true in ministry as well, when somebody is maybe just coming to Christ. So you may have been a, a, a Christian for a long time and you have like, here are my rules. Here are the things I think I know to be true, right? Here's the things I've heard. But are you able to adjust? Are you able to go, wait, things are kind of tweaking, not the truth, but your response to that. Am I able to see things in a bigger, a broader, a different sort of way? Versus just abandoning the things I've believed for so long because, wait, this doesn't seem to work anymore. That you find yourself kind of in a, a transformation way, but not just hanging on to something. Because what I've seen is that growth is the move from ideas and concepts. It doesn't really go into implementation until you're transformed on the inside, until you see something bigger happening. For Mark Sayers' reappearing church, he says this, when renewal is taking place, the great beliefs of Christianity no longer are seen as just timeless truths, but lived realities. See, this is the work for all of us. There are these timeless truths that we hang on to and they're so important. And when we're going through difficult times, there's things, what is that do I know to be true about God? So important. But when they are able just to sit there as timeless truths, kind of separate from our internal transformation, renewal is not taking place. Growth is not taking place. It's only when we take those truths and now they're showing up in my life. You see, it's really easy to say that God loves everybody and that God is compassionate and God is kind. But when you're facing such difficult time or opposition or people who are against you, how is that timeless truth now showing up in your life? Because what can become happen so often is that we become conformed to culture. We just kind of give in to the things we see around us. It just becomes normal for us and we're no longer expecting new things. A few years ago, Andrew West, who was a pastor here for a long time, grew up at this church, a dear, wonderful friend of mine, is a pastor up in Auburn, Grass Valley now. About four or five years ago, we were in Wawanda together. We got to do some uh, teaching of training of some pastors of a ministry that I'm involved with over there. And after each time that we would teach, we would ask people if there's any questions. And there were some pretty amazing questions that would come out afterwards. And basically, Andrew and I would preach and teach, and the question time came, and you were just like, I, I hope I know the answer to this one. At the end of one of the sessions, uh, a female pastor in the back raised her hand, and she stood up, and she says, I'm greatly concerned. Now, we're in the middle of a village in Rwanda, as remote as you can get. And this is the kind of place where I'm like, God moves in these places. Like there was always like these big stories. She raised her hand and she says, Pastor, why don't miracles happen anymore here in Rwanda? And I listened to her and I'm like, what do you mean? Back in the States, I've been telling people this is where miracles do happen. And you're telling me miracles aren't happening here. And she said, yeah, we see some stuff, like we see some people getting healed. And, you know, a few years ago, somebody who was blind can now see. And I'm like, that's it, huh? That's just like random. She goes, but we're not seeing the movement anymore, like you are in the West. Now, there's a translator. I'm like, tell me more about, like, you mean in the West. 
well, preachers come out here and tell us what's happening and we watch videos on YouTube and man, that's where God's moving. And there was kind of a buzz and Andrew and I were looking at each other and Andrew's like, good luck, Dale. Because <laughs> that's just kind of how it is. And I said to her, to be honest, for years, we've been saying the same thing, like God's moving in these other places. And she's like, you're telling people God's moving here. We're telling people God's moving there. And I'm like, isn't it might be possible that we just kind of become numb to the things around us, that we're just looking outside of somewhere else for God to move and we're not looking right internally ourselves? Is it possible that we're not reminding each other of the things God's doing, that we just kind of like give in to the things every day? And then this pastor stood up and said something in Kieran, Rwandan for like 20 minutes, which sounded amazing. And everybody applauded at the end and sat down. I'm like, did he answer the question? But I think what he was saying is, God is calling us to pay attention to what's right in front of us. And we need our brothers and sisters around the world to remind us. Because what happens so many times is that we just become comfortable. We become inundated with the things that we thought God was going to do for us. We become inundated with the things that we thought God should be doing right now. And culture starts to shape our hearts. And culture starts to shape our minds versus us seeing what God might be doing. When we remain in familiar situations, we tend to be reliant on ourselves, our strengths, our own intuition, maybe just what we see. We become used to our culture, almost always becoming more like it than we realize. I think one of the key questions I want us to ask this morning, is that which I'm experiencing right now bringing me to a deeper dependence of his presence? Or am I drifting into an indifference in him? Because that's what we do. It's not often a sharp right turn. It's kind of this indifference of like, ah, oh, is God really doing things? I'm hearing a lot more negative than positive. I'm seeing the trials of my life. Am I going into a deeper dependence? What does that mean? It often means that there's some trials coming your way. God does something so unique with the difficulties of this life that he says, you're either gonna press into me or you're gonna drift. I'm gonna back up a little bit from our passage last week. Last week, we uh, started talking in the book of Acts and I think we jumped into about chapter three. But let me back up a little bit around the book of Acts. Acts is the second volume of a unified two-part book, the book of Luke and the book of Acts, written by the same guy. And the book of Luke starts with the journeys of Jesus. They were the same author. He's traveling with a coworker, Paul. And the book of Luke is really around, what Luke says is these are the things that Jesus began to do and teach. And in the book of Acts, he continues like, these are the things that Jesus continued to do and teach. Now it leads us to a really interesting point about how we even came up with this name. It's often known as the Acts of the Apostles. Now, there were a few apostles and there was like different people in this book. And it is true. It's what the apostles did. But really more closely, it's like this is the things, the acts that Jesus continued to do with his spirit. Because that's the ongoing storyline all throughout Acts. 
we do see different things happen, but Jesus himself is acting directly through the Spirit as a renewal, as a response to the resurrection. So let me start here at Acts chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to look through a few of these verses today. Starts off real basic. In my former book, which is the book of Luke that we know how, Theophilus is who he's writing this to. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen, and after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Let me pause for a second. When Jesus ever mentions, talked about the kingdom of God, he is always, always, always talking about heaven's relationship and intimacy with people. This is that line of heaven and people coming together. That's why when Jesus spoke and Jesus taught, he would often say, the kingdom of God is like this. It's like a man who found a treasure in a field and he sold everything he had and he bought that field. The kingdom of God is like this. It's like a, a woman who lost this pearl and she searched her whole house till she found it. The kingdom of God is like this. It's like these bridesmaids waiting for the groom. It's like this unification. So when Jesus says, I'm talking to you about the kingdom of God, it's always, always, always God's kingdom in unification with people. Sometimes we miss that point. He's talking about how heaven talks about people. So the kingdom coming to earth is reuniting God's original intention. Now, over the many more years that we have together, I'm going to do this a lot. I'm going to say we have to go back to the beginning and remind ourselves of how God created this place. So many stories begin that things start out elementary and then get better and better and better. In the story of God, in the story of this life with God, things start out perfect. Things start out as God intended. And then sin enters the world, and then it just goes like this. Yet God is drawing renewal back to him. So for us to understand the kingdom of God and God's original intention, we need to go back. Now there's this word that's used so often if you ever read the creation narrative, the creation story. In Hebrew, it's either tov or tav, like mazel tov. It means good. That God said, and this is good. This is complete. This is right. So this word tov or tav is far, by far the most popular term in the Bible. With more than 700 occurrences throughout Scripture where God says, this is good. So let me read this to you. It might sound familiar, but this is the intention, the origination of the kingdom of God that Jesus brings back up. Genesis 1, 27 to 31. Listen to this. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful 
and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. It was very tov. It was very tov. You see, God created life. And what I want to hear this morning is that his care continues for life. His care for people is observed in a lot of the prophets in the Old Testament that God revealed to them, this is how I formed and created people. From some of them, the words of David or some of from Job or Jeremiah, we are here these things about how God's intimately acquainted with us before we're born. Your hands made me and formed me, we see in Psalm 119. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and I'm wonderfully made in Psalm 139. Job says, you clothed me with skin and flesh and you knit me together with bones and sinews. You granted me life. And in Jeremiah 1.5 says, before I, before I formed you in your mother's body, I chose you before you were born. I set you apart to serve me I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. So when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God and when Jesus talks about people, he's talking about having an intimate relationship with these people before we ever met these people, not just because they were born before us, because they were not born yet. Because he is actively involved in the life of a child. He is actively involved in the mother's womb. He is actively involved before they're in He says, I called you before you even existed. So when Jesus looks at people, when he thinks about the kingdom of God, he's not just looking at people as they currently are behaving in their life. Do we get this? He looks at them as who they were. Do you hear their heart for people? How often have we seen a young child that we knew and loved and took a path that no longer it's a destructive path and our heart breaks because we go, I remember them as a child and they were so sweet and whatever, fill in the blank. That's how God sees all people. I knew them before they were born. I know them in their activities now. I know if they're honoring me or they're sinning against me and I love them and I care for them. You see, aligning ourselves to him is to do the same, to care for all people. This is Tav, this is Tov. In a book called The Church Called Tav, Scott McKnight writes this, churches that follow Jesus don't simply take up a cause for one specific group. They develop a culture in which they hear the cries of all the distressed, of all the wounded and respond with compassion. Tove churches will develop an empathy radar with an instinctive bias toward acts of grace, peace, mercy, and goodness for everyone. Because that 
is the kingdom of God. We are so tempted in our culture today to choose paths. We are so tempted to say, well, I'm about this, but I'm not for that. Yet the kingdom of God says, it's an and. I am for people here, and I am for people here. We'll continue on. When Jesus sees people, he sees everything through that lens. You see, this is one of the many reasons we even as a church are trying to connect people to ministries, to bless maybe kids who have found themselves in a foster care system, that we try to engage with people who maybe they don't have as much. We try to bless and pour into the lives of our kids to encourage them. These are the reasons why we bring up ministry opportunities. It's not just like, hey, we have some spots to fill and you guys all have some extra time on your hand. That's not what we're doing. We're trying to be a church that's good, that responds, that cares. We'll continue in Acts chapter one. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, just simple meal, I'm guessing, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my authority. You, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. This is one heck of a dinner party. Let's have a meal. God, Jesus, all right, before you go, is this the time where we become that nation? Is this nationalism time? Do we become that group? Just tell us before you go. And Jesus in his master responder goes, I know this is your question. This is what I th you think you want. I'm gonna answer this question. Because our prayers are just around here, but, God, but Jesus is like, I'm gonna answer this. Then he drops something on him and then he disappears. He floats to heaven. What did he respond with? His response is about something different, about something better. Now, I can understand, right? They've gone through a lot of tormenting as the nation of Israel. They had been controlled by other countries and their desires and their powers. And they're like, Jesus, is this our time? I get their cry. I get their pain. But he's like, the Holy Spirit's coming and I'm gonna have you face something even bigger, something different. Because it's all about people. He says, you're gonna receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Now, when we read scripture, let me encourage you with some things here. It's really important to always understand what is the sender trying to say, like the original writer, what are they trying to say? And how would the original audience have heard this? Because the temptation is so often is that we read scripture and we go, what does this mean for me in 2022 right away? Now, scripture is written for you. 
But it hasn't been written to you. It's not like, dear Dale, this is for you in 22. Exactly. The richness and beauty of Scripture is to go, who wrote this? What did they mean? And how would they have even understood this? To give me a broader context of what's going on. The big picture could be interpreted that we're really storytellers of God in our home, in our area. And there's been a lot of churches who've taken these verses, and this isn't wrong, this is a good thing, and kind of developed like an outreach plan, right? Jerusalem is like your home base, like you're doing ministry in your home base. Judea might be a little bit broader, like your government. Samaria might be like an, an outer land, like a place you border, and the ends of the earth is around the world. And in many ways, in all the ways, we don't interpret it this way because we think that we're the center of the world right here. We are the ends of the earth in this story. Okay? Do we get that? We're like, no, nah, I don't believe you. They did not live in Las Gadas during this time. The apostles were not hanging out at the toll house, having a cup of coffee at the Great Bear. This was an unknown land. But picture for a second, if you will. They're hearing these words from Jesus. What would they have thought? What would they have felt if they were told, go back to Jerusalem? What just happened in Jerusalem? Their savior, their rabbi, was brutally crucified. This wasn't a great few days for them. They denied him. They ran from him. They were scared. They hid. They were disappointed. Jesus was saying, you know that place that you have fear? Go back there. Go back to that place of fear. Go back to that place of shame. Because it's also a place I gave you victory. The Holy Spirit is coming upon you to go back to that place and be my witness. Judea, what would they have heard? Judea was this amazing place of influence, the government, the place that influenced the area, but at the same time was controlled by Rome. It was kind of this paradox of like authority, but not real authority. It's kind of like puppetry. The kingdom, the Jewish kingdom had to be like puppets of Rome. Inauthenticity. So like go to these places that are not real, that are not authentic. And be my witness there. That had to be scary. Samaria. Samaria wasn't just a border town. Men, women, I want you to go back to that place where you have been outright racist against them. You see, they saw Samaria as a place to be avoided. A place of mixed ethnicity and mixed race. They're like, they're not even fully Jewish people or whatever they thought. They would take hundreds of miles a journey around that area just to miss it all together. And when Jesus brought them right through that place, his disciples are like, Jesus, you don't really know where you are. So when he said to them, you're not gonna tell my story back in the place that you've been avoiding 
with people that you hate, but the Spirit will give you power. Truth is, the disciples continued to avoid that place. God sent somebody else. And when they heard the uttermost parts of the earth, I don't think they even understood what the uttermost parts of the earth were. They're like, we're fishermen. We're tax collectors. We're known right here. Are people even going to listen to us? But the Holy Spirit brings something new, brings something that you could never dream and never imagine. You see, renewal should lead us into places in a new way of restoration, a way of forgiveness, a way of aligning ourselves to the ways of Jesus. So I'm asking you here this morning, what are the things you never dreamed you would do? What are the things that might be kind of turning in you? It could be that person who you've just been wrong towards, or that person's been wrong towards you. It could be like a whole people group that you, whenever you see them on the news, or might just because of their opinions, like it just churns you, it just angers you, and yet God's like, the power of the Holy Spirit will help you be my witness. You see, something becomes difficult when it falls outside our current norm, our control, or how we seem to be threatened. When something feels difficult or heavy on our hearts, it might keep us up in the middle of the night, the things that we think about. I find it often because it's I'm on self-reliance, and self-reliance leads to this weightiness of how am I gonna come through? You see, this becomes an amazing opportunity for you, for renewal, for reliance on the Spirit. Are you willing to say, God, is there something new? Is there something different? Because God has placed that longing in all of us from the very beginning that things aren't right. When he said this is good and he created us in his image, he will not let that go. So that yearning that we either turn and reject because we keep it easier or that we pursue is pulling from him. What I have found to be true is this, is that the gospel brings peace in the midst of conflict. How does the gospel bring peace? Haven't we seen like wars over centuries, Dales, around religion? That's not the gospel, I would say. Haven't we seen pain and suffering over those things? I would say that's not the gospel as well. See, this is what Jesus said, is that witnesses to be about the good. Because if we're actually causing more chaos, then it's not really the gospel. It's not what God described as tov. Because goodness and what is right brings shalom. But there's a need to rely on, some, on God. There's a need to let go and to trust. Not this apathetic indifference, like, God oh, just give it to God. But it's God saying, align my, yourself with me and let's see what we can do together. Reliance isn't easy, is it? I mean, for some people, you'd rather pass the buck. I get that. I'm pretty good at passing the buck sometimes. I think I learned a lot about reliance when I started speaking in other countries and you have an interpreter. Talk about reliance. 
There was one time I was speaking in Latvia, and in the audience was Latvian-speaking people and Russian-speaking people and a few English-speaking people. So I would say something, it would get interpreted in Latvian, it would then get interpreted in Russian, and then it would come back to me. A 10-minute talk took like 45 minutes. Now, those who knew English, if I'd make a joke, there'd be like a little people laughing. I'm like, oh, that was good. And then I have to wait like five more minutes to see if other people were laughing. By the time I got to the Russian, they're like, that was a dumb joke. <laughs> and sometimes one of the translators would take like twice as long as what I was saying. And I'm like, I think you're adding to it. You're like, yeah, I'm just explaining it better than you did. I'm like, oh, okay, thanks a lot. <laughs> But I remember this dependence, this reliance, and all I could really do was trust what God had downloaded to me, and that I was going to be faithful to that. And then however it got communicated, there was just this trust and this reliance. And all I could see was what kind of response or fruit was happening because of that. Because it's out of our control, and that scares us. But when we see God move, Something bigger happens. You see, living in the Holy Spirit goes beyond what we believe. It is moving into that which is happening within us. Are we willing to say, because this is true, I'm going to do what? The danger is that we're so comfortable within our context that we're in danger of assimilation to our context. Just kind of throwing our hands up in the air. You know, the gospel, it rose, it came out. Its very core is in conflict. In Romans chapter five, it says this, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that why we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore now we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we shall also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciled reconciliation. The very core, the very nature of the gospel is not to avoid conflict. We are conflict adverse. And I get that. None of us want to run into conflict. I mean, some people do. I mean, there's times I do. That's not my best trait. But we kind of want, but the gospel comes out of it in the midst of conflict, in the midst of us rebelling, the gospel comes out of that. In it, through it, arises, gives birth. It breaks the chaos. So when Jesus is saying to his followers, and again is saying to us, the power that the Holy Spirit puts upon us is to step into situations to break chaos. Being a witness of me, of who I really am. Being a witness of the kingdom of God that all people matter to him. That before they're born, he's forming them. That as they're living, that even though they're in sin, that for that reason, he gave his life up for him. 
and that a transformed, renewed person sees people as God sees people, as value, as worth, as love, as everything. This is his message to the apostles. This is his message is up to us. To live out Christ is to lead others to a better place. Though they may not be willing to go at first. I mean, we know that to be true. How often are like, man, I'm praying for my brother, my sister. Praying for my spouse, my child. I'm praying for those loved near me. And that's what God calls us to do. Because it's like, I see this and, I, and I'm burdened for them. And I pray for them. And I yearn for them. And I contend for them. And that's a big part of renewal is contending, contending, contending. But that's what the gospel does. You see, people leading other people in the process of the Holy Spirit, of reliance on the Holy Spirit, is really the biggest gift that we can help and give people. We're fined earlier in chapter 5 of Romans of what life with the Spirit does. In alignment with sometimes having difficult times. It produces endurance. You know when you need endurance? Sometimes we think endurance is overrated. We'd rather have like short bursts of like great strength. Endurance is really needed when you're in this for a long time. When you're in this for being good. You know when endurance is good? When your life is hard and you look at your spouse next to you and you just need them to be faithful to you. That's when you're thankful for endurance. You know when endurance is good? When things aren't going your way, yet you know you don't want to give up. That's when endurance is good. You know when endurance is good? Is when maybe we haven't seen God move in a while. And when he does, and you get to see it firsthand, it's invigorating. But endurance doesn't just produce endurance. Endurance produces character. The kinds of things we're all counting on for each other. We all want to align ourselves with people of character. But people who aren't going to be swayed by, this, by the culture. And then it starts to really move forward. Because endurance produces character. And then character produces hope. Is there a worse feeling than losing hope? There are worse feeling than thinking, ah, it's not even worth it anymore. But the counterintuitive act of the Spirit is that in the midst of crisis, it produces endurance, produces character, which now you have hope in the midst of the most difficult thing. And what we are assured of is that hope does not disappoint. Hope doesn't disappoint. Because hope is in the smack middle of the kingdom of God. That's what the kingdom of God is. Jesus says, I am talking to you about hope. Not just hoping that things get better, but hope that you actually matter. That heaven's talking about you. That heaven is interested in you. That's the hope. Because of the Holy Spirit, not just in us, but in all the people in the journey. You see, the Holy Spirit-led person, my friends, if you're willing to let go and listen to God, the Holy Spirit-led person isn't just someone doing all these magic tricks around. Like sometimes we go like, oh, he's the Holy Spirit, but he's doing all these crazy things for some reason. 
Some people who are just led by the Spirit are the most peaceful, non-anxious presence. The world might be falling apart around them, but there's this perspective that's like, I don't get it. But I see something different because I have hope. Not a blind hope. Not a hope that we just throw to the wind. But if God's in it, he has me. The Holy Spirit-led person normalizes these difficult conversations, normalizes these things that we want to avoid so many times. Because here it is. The actual infilling of the Spirit gives you power to do what? To step into these places that you would have avoided without him. Are you willing to step in? That's what it is. Are you just willing to step in to the chaos of your teenager's life? Are you willing to step into your kid's life? Are you willing to step in to maybe the trials of somebody who's been on the end of systematic racism and you don't get it, but are you just willing to step in and understand and love? Are you willing to step in that somebody's life may have been so different than yours and you can go sin, 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 sin. You get what you deserve. That is not the kingdom of God. What the kingdom of God is, is grace, 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 grace. I love you. I forgive you. And what he's asking us to do and what he's asking me to do, first of all, because I'll go first, is to step in and be his witnesses of hope, of glory, of goodness. Because even if I feel like I'm wrong, the Holy Spirit says, hang in there. Hang in there. That's what we're called to do. As I close, let me just pull you back a few weeks. Remember Easter? Yes, Dale, we remember Easter. Sorry, whatever, you could just like, in case you're still awake. I finished our time together with this verse. That Easter just isn't about the resurrection. Though that was in, I mean, how could you beat the resurrection? But God's also given us a ministry. Do you remember what that ministry is? Reconciliation. Let me read you these verses again. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all. And therefore all died. And he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Can you just stop there? The response to Jesus dying for the world, which we are a part of, our response to that is that we no longer see people from a worldly point of view. What is a worldly point of view? It is a point of view without the kingdom of God. It is a point of view that they don't have value to God. A response to the resurrection is like, we're going to see people now like he did. Man, that's hard. Now we, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us what? The ministry of reconciliation. 
that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. My friends, let me raise the bar. If you came in this morning going, what is my life about? I'm just a regular person cruising around. I just do day to day. You know what your life is about? God's like, I'm going all in with you. You are part of my reconciliation machine, church. We as a church can gather and exist in a matter if there's 50 people in this room or a couple hundred people in this room and we can look back and go, this church used to be this or that, whatever you think. You may have been going to this church for 30 years and you're like, I used to see a lot more people around me. Whatever you want to think. What I'm telling you today is that God is calling Calvary Church. God is calling you in Calvary Church. God is raising the bar and saying, you want to reconcile people or not? You want to be filled with my spirit or not? You want to go? Let's go. If you don't want to go, you're still invited to come and watch. It's way more fun to go. So what are you going to do? What are we going to do? I say those things because as a preacher, you can just get louder. And I can scream them more. I don't do that very much. Maybe some. I just want to wake us all up. I want to wake me up. To not go through my days, but to wake up and say, I'm a reconciler with God. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Who can I bless today? Who can I love today? Who can I make things better for today? When I'm watching the news and that person is ticking me off, can I turn my tickness into love and just pray for that person? You can. Because if Christ gave the spirit of the Holy Spirit to go into the places where they hated people, he can give you enough love to love people. Let's just take some time and listen to God for a moment. And we call this response time. It's also ministry time for us. It's our time to pray with you and our time to bless you. It's our time to remember the gift of Jesus that he died and rose again. So as you sit and just listen to God for a few minutes, just take some time to be quiet before God right now. I'm not sure what your conversations have been like with God on the way to church or even while I've been speaking. But maybe to say, God, what is it that you have me say today? What do you want me to hear? Maybe ask him if there's a space of reconciliation that he wants you to have a ministry in today. Could be with an individual, could be with a whole group of people. Could be on a large scale, it could be on a small scale. Who needs a conduit of his Holy Spirit put into their life because of you? Ask the Holy Spirit to guide you, 
to give you the courage that he provides to step into those spaces of reconciliation with people today. My friends, it's possible. If it were not so, these truths would not have held up. The gospel was born out of conflict. That even though we won't experience the beauty of creation in the garden until God, Jesus comes back, when he says the kingdom of God is here, it's not fully here, but it's here. We see these moments and these glimpses and these movements of God that he just asks us to be faithful to. I long for that for this town, the brokenness that I see, the brokenness behind doors. Do you? I long for it for this valley where we have asphyxiated our minds on culture and achieving and all these things. In some ways, so many amazing things and in some ways, so many destructive things. I believe for something different to you. Father, we... Um, hmm. It seems like we should stand far away from you because of your glory. Yet, Jesus, what you did on the cross and forgave us, pulls us right into it. So we come before boldly and confidently, as you have promised us we can, to the throne of you, God, and we say thank you. Father, I pray that our lives would be different this week, that we'd be filled with your courage to step into places and be your agents, your witnesses, your conduits of grace and love and peace, not in our own strength. We don't have to impress people. We can't impress people. I give up. I don't want to impress people. I just want to be faithful. So I invite you all to be faithful with me. We love you in your name. Amen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ. The new creation has come. Amen, brother. <laughs> the old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. He has committed us to this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. You are Christ's ambassadors. Excites me. As though God were making his appeal through us. He's making his appeal through you this week. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God bless you. Go with confidence. Love to meet with you for a few minutes at the Connect Gathering. If you're new, love to connect with you. If you're not new, come steal some food or something. <laughs> God bless you. See you soon.